Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay. Well, this is um, possibly going to be um, a shorter talk and then having uh, time for discussion. Actually, I was first thinking I didn't have much to say, and it's been a while since we had a, uh, just a general check-in about practice, um, uh, questions about practice and applying practice. Um, but then something came to my mind, and uh, so I do have a little bit to say that I wanted to share with you. And uh, what triggered it uh, was um, I was uh, I was being interviewed um, this morning, and uh, somebody uh, this fellow asked me, "Well, when did your when did your spiritual journey first start?" And uh, I thought back and I said, "Well." when it really started, if you really want to know when it started, uh, I think back to when I was a kid and I would drag my parents to the Hayden Planetarium as often as I could. I grew up in New York City. You didn't see many stars at night, but there was always the Hayden Planetarium, which was my favorite place on Earth um, to get beyond Earth. And I would just go to the planetarium, watch, watch the show, the star show, and basically be going, wow, wow. Just the vastness of it all and the, um, the feeling of connection with everything out there and it was both vast and comforting and also at the same time seeing, you know, when they'd, they'd shine the flashlight or the skylight and you couldn't see it, but you just knew there's Earth. Some, some place that that light was shining on. So infinitesimally small. And it it, both, it was both comforting and awe-inspiring. How many people got into astronomy when you were a kid? Or a kid? That's, you probably know what I'm talking about. To see the, the hugeness of it all kind of takes the, the, the drama or the the um, uh, the focus off of our little life into um, something much that we're much part of something much greater and uh, let's see there's a a line in the third Zen patriarch or a few lines that 
point to this where he says at the end, emptiness here, emptiness there, but the infinite universe stands always before your eyes, infinitely large and infinitely small. No difference, for definitions have vanished and no boundaries are seen. Infinitely large, infinitely small, no difference, for definitions have vanished, no boundaries are seen. And I want to read one more piece. Actually, I've been wanting to read this for the last few months, and I couldn't figure out where, how I could fit it in. Um, it's one of my favorite poems of all time. It's a Robert Frost poem called A Considerable Speck. Anybody know this poem? Oh, good. Check this out. A speck that would have been beneath my sight on any but a paper sheet so white set off across what I had written there, and I had idly poised my pen in air to stop it with a period of ink when something strange about it made me think. This was no dust speck by my breathing blown, but unmistakably a living mite with inclinations it could call its own. It paused as with suspicion of my pen and then came racing wildly on again to where my manuscript was not yet dry then paused again and either drank or smelt with loathing, for again it turned to fly, plainly with an intelligence I dealt. It seemed too tiny to have room for feet, yet must have had a set of them complete to express how much it didn't want to die. It ran with terror and with cunning crept it faltered. I could see it hesitate. Then, in the middle of the open sheet, cowered down in desperation to accept whatever I accorded it of fate. I have none of the tenderer-than-thou collectivistic regimenting love with which the modern world is being swept. But this poor microscopic item now since, since it was nothing I knew evil of, I let it lie there till I hope it slept. I have a mind myself and recognize mind when I meet with it in any guise. No one can know how glad I am to find on any sheet the least display of mind. I love that poem. You ever get into that space where you see other possibilities and other realities and other dimensions? 
now I, ha I as I'm thinking, I, I didn't, it hadn't occurred to me this thought or to share it, but since it's here, I'm, I'm coming out. This is a confession from about, mm, I, I, I guess, the age of maybe four or five, or for about a year or, a, or maybe more. Uh, I had a, a rug in my, my house that had speckles on it. And um, it was a whole civilization for me. And I actually, when people weren't around, I often walked on tiptoes so I wouldn't kill as many of those speckles as I could. I know it's a little <laughs> bit weird. This is true, though. You know, we all have our little imaginary playmates. Well, I had a whole civilization on my carpet. <laughs> infinitely large and infinitely small. Having perspective, really understanding that this particular reality that we are conversing in, navigating in, playing in, crying in, loving in, succeeding in, failing in, This is just one little band on a vast spectrum, as Ken Wilber calls it, spectrum of consciousness with no boundary. <clears throat> and when we truly tune in to perspective, when we create or tune into a sense of space that's here all the time. This is the basis for real equanimity. Not that what happens on this particular slim band that we're playing in doesn't count. In fact, as, as Ramdas titles one of his books, it's the only dance there is. But to see it's a dance within a much larger play of consciousness removes some of the melodrama, if not drama. And this is what the Tibetans call big mind. You know, I mentioned in the, as we were doing the uh, sitting this evening about Letting your mind be spacious, very open, very wide, where thoughts can come and go, sounds can come and go, sensations arise and pass away. But the sky, the space in which everything is occurring, is not changed, is not tainted, does not is not affected at all, but can hold it all. This is the secret of equanimity, having that wider perspective. <clears throat> this is um, from the 
the Diamond Sutra. Thus shall ye think of all this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. That's how we should think of this fleeting world, just a little flash of lightning, a little bubble in the stream. And when we can tune into that, that perspective, that this is just a little dot in the vastness of space, and this reality, my reality, is one little story in the dance of consciousness on this planet, uh, this allows for the spaciousness that equanimity affords. Then we can tune into what probably many of you are familiar with, seeing both the, the relative reality of our everyday life. You stop on the red, go on the green, you have the laws that, that govern the physical world, but on a whole other level, it's just a game. It's just a play of consciousness. <clears throat> when there's that kind of spaciousness, that kind of spaciousness, then you feel everything but you don't get stuck. I was talking with, um, with Julia Butterfly Hill yesterday, and she's, if, if you aren't familiar with her, she's, one of her main gifts is this incredible caring. She has such deep caring about life, and she, she can cry. She says, I, I, cry, I probably cry every day. I don't know if there's, there's days when I don't cry. And I said, how can, you, how can you open yourself up that deeply to feeling the pain of the world and still go on and have this um, inspiringly positive energy? How do you do it? And she said, you just have to get very big, very spacious, and feel all the feelings that you feel, and they move through you. And so I can cry, and then five minutes later I can laugh, and I'm still feeling it all, but it doesn't stick. This is the power of, of equanimity, to have that spaciousness of heart. I've been going through this, um, I don't think I shared it here, um, in, uh, Maybe, maybe I did, but in, actually I think I did a few weeks ago, where been dealing with people, uh, oh no, it was on the retreat, dealing with people who are going through really a lot of pain and, and, and anguish, physical stuff and, and emotional stuff. And one of the, the interesting things, you write a book about joy, 
and you uh, attract a whole lot of people who are desperately looking for joy and in a lot of pain. I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't know that was coming, but um, <laughs> it, it's, it's come. And, and not only that, but it's like, you know, somebody from Europe and somebody from Australia and somebody from Canada and you know it's it's one thing when you're when you're working with with people that you see one on one but this is like you know uh, you know worldwide you know duca magnet it seems like <laughs> I, I I haven't I've never used that expression before <laughs> I don't know if I ever will again but uh, it's just what came out but uh, and um, and so, and sometimes um, you know it seems like so much because and there's people are so sincere in what they're sharing and uh, my my practice in in recent months has just been to just keep on breathing keep on expanding keep on relaxing and opening as best I can and just um, know that the there's love that can open up to it so it doesn't so it just moves through it's very much like what what she was saying what Julia was saying but she's been doing it for for years and she's just you know quite an inspiration with it this is how you can get through otherwise the heart will break it just pick up a newspaper or hear all the pain around you or the pain inside of you and um, it could get so easily overwhelming. But that's not what we're called on to do to get overwhelmed. We're called on to open up to what's true, meet it with kindness and love and wisdom and create enough space so that we can also feel all the goodness that's in there. Because it doesn't do anyone good to, um, to be so overwhelmed that we, we can't function. And of course, there are times when we all get overwhelmed, and it's, it's part of being human. It's not like you should just be you know, sliding through, uh, skiing through life and saying, oh, it's all cool. There are some times when it's, you go through a really hard period. All of us do. But to get better and better at breathing and creating that space and seeing this life is like a bubble, a flash of lightning, it will go so fast and not to get stuck on any one element of it, not to define ourselves as this happened to me and now I can't go on. Or how can I ever get beyond what's happening right now? That's not seeing the bigger perspective. And so this quality of spaciousness to both hold things in a very large perspective and honor the relative as well. You know, you can go into, into the emptiness and just say, oh yes, it's all empty and not have it touch you as well. So we're, we're not talking about bypassing 
all the feelings. You have to really, if you want to show up for life, it means you, you've got to be willing to see the, the minute particulars as well. This um, beautiful saying from Gampopa, a great Tibetan uh, master, even if your view is higher than the sky, it is vital that your behavior regarding cause and effect be finer than barley flour. You have a huge, vast view. Oh, it's all empty. And at the same time, everything you do counts. That's the, 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 the play where both of those are honored and addressed. Mm. Let's see. Let's see a couple of the things and then and what is this? Flight of the Garuda. I read a little bit of this from a few few weeks ago. Mm. A great Tibetan uh, text. Emaho, how marvelous, how amazing, says. Fortunate and noble heart children. If one does not apply the whip, the horse will not gallop. If not churned thoroughly, milk will not become butter. If the explanation is not thoroughly taught, you will not reach certainty. So do not feel bored with this song sung with so many lyrics, but listen with a joyful mind. If you do not recognize all appearances as being mind, you will never realize the meaning of emptiness. So fortunate children make a close examination of first where these appearances came from, and secondly, where they remain, and finally, where they go. When examined, they are like the analogy of mist in the sky, which comes from space and dissolves back into space again. In the same way, appearances the magical display of mind arise in your mind and dissolve into your mind again. I think I'll just stop there. This is a text of just seeing the emptiness of it all and all arising from our consciousness. So our consciousness or mind or the big mind or the pure awareness that moves through us is both capable of getting beyond the appearances and also recognizing and honoring the appearances, the magical display of mind. And then I'll just I'll close with one last thing, one more of my favorite poems that talks about this perspective. Mm. This is by Robinson Jeffers. Uh, really wonderful American poet called The Treasure. Check this out. Mountains, a moment's earth waves rising and hollowing. The earth, too, is an ephemerid, short-lived. The stars, short-lived as grass. The stars quicken in the nebula 
and dry in their summer. They spiral blind up space, scattered black seeds of a future. Nothing lives long. The whole sky's recurrences tick the seconds of the hours of the ages of the gulf before birth and the gulf after death is like dated. To labor 80 years in a notch of eternity is nothing too tiresome. Enormous repose after. Enormous repose before. The flash of activity. Surely you've, you never have dreamed the incredible depths were prologue and epilogue merely to the surface play in the sun, the instant of life, what is called life. I fancy that silence is the thing. This noise, a found word for it, interjection, a jump of the breath at that silence. Stars burn, grass grows, men breathe. As a man finding a treasure says, ah, but the treasure's the essence. Before the man spoke, it was there. And after he has spoken, he gathers it. Inexhaustible treasure. Just to see our life as that little notch in time. And then, as we see that little notch, what to do then to really be present for it? Not wasting time thinking, oh, what could have been, or what could be. It's too short for that. Ah, what a gift, this treasure that we have. So, the secret ingredient of equanimity, perspective. Mm. And that's all I have to say. So, any, anything on anyone's mind, either from the talk, or we can spend some time talking about practice and uh, anything going on. I'd like to take a little bit of time for discussion. Hi, uh, my name is Kate, and I, uh, I just it, wanted to share a quick story that it was it like this. unbelievably similar moment I had about 10 years ago. I was working at a YMCA outside of Boston, and I was r working like 90 hours a week with kids, and I was working uh, overnight trips and hiking trips and loving my work, but totally fried, and walked into my new boss's office, and um, he listened intently as I said, I think I need some help, and I know we don't have a lot of money to hire someone, and how can we do this? And he goes, hold on a second. He reached into his bookshelf and he unfolded a National Geographic poster of the universe. Mm -hmm. And he pointed at Earth and he said, let's keep this all in perspective. <laughs> and it was just, it, your story reminded me of it. And I, ha I honestly, it was such a huge turning point in my life. And he, um, he really was an amazing teacher. And honestly, I don't think he practiced meditation or anything, but it was just his way of being in the world. He helped just bring such calm and 
fo uh, perspective to the organization and, and for me personally. So mm -hmm. it was literally a poster of the universe that mm -hmm. helped. Great, so thanks. One that says, you are here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Louise. Well, in terms of perspective, um, I was reading today an interview with someone who had lost a friend uh, at, in her 40s. And mm. the person in the interview said, you know, it's a privilege to grow old. It's a privilege to grow old, to have that, um, to be here, to still be here. And I, I've been thinking about that all day because I've been thinking about how many people I know that are very concerned about aging as one of the things that cause suffering, according to the Buddha, you know. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I don't know, all day I've just been saying to myself, it is a privilege to grow old. And I just wanted to share that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, it, it, when it's talked about that aging is, one of, is a, a cause of suffering, it, it, you don't have to stop there and say, oh, that's, you know, end, end of story. There's... Um, there's so many gifts if we can, if we if we've been fortunate enough to be practicing and holding a, another perspective. But even people who aren't haven't practiced, there are some. You know, we all know people who are so um, uh, beautiful, shining through. They're, they've got grace, they've got dignity, they've got wisdom, and you know their bodies may hurt, but. You know, some are not just stuck in that fact. That's part of the deal, but there's a wisdom that, that shines through. In fact, there was a recent survey. Uh, it was, you know, it was a, no, it wasn't a survey. It was a study by this uh, um, psychologist at Stony Brook, I think it was, in, that, um, that showed that happiness your, is there as a decline in your, from your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50 is, at least in this study, was the nadir. And then in your 50s, and this was quite, I think several thousand in this study, it, it got better and better as the, you know, you, you went through your midlife crisis, you know, you, in your earlier years, you're trying to figure out what you're doing, and did I make it, and will I succeed, and, you know, and obviously this is a generalization, so it's not for, you know, all of us. If you're 40, there's hope for you. <laughs> but, but then you kind of find, have found your place in the world if you're fortunate enough, and then you, you go into those, those later years with all the wisdom and... Um, and uh, developed heart that can carry you through. So I agree, aging doesn't have to be all suffering. There can be so many extraordinary things, uh, gifts in it. It's a privilege to grow old. Anything else about this or about practice?
I have a question for you. Mm. Um, I'm struggling with uh, sleepiness, sleepiness, mm. getting really sleepy and then trying to wake back up. And so I, mm. I wonder if you might talk a little bit about how to handle sleepiness. Uh, in the meditation. In the meditation itself. Um, yeah, it's um, one of the five, the big five. Mm. <laughs> Big five hindrances. Mm. So the first thing to keep in mind is, since it's been talked about, as long as there's been meditation shared, you're not alone in this. <laughs> Don't take it personally. Which is huge right there. If you start getting down on yourself, come on, why are you sleepy and stop it? No you're taking it personally. So the, the key is how you can relate to it while not being frustrated by it. And there's a few different ways to work with it. Uh, one is um, temperature. If, you're, if it's stuffy and you're warm, you know, coolness helps. Another is um, sitting up straight. Because the, the straight spine just brings alertness. If you're feeling tired right now, okay, if you're feeling, oh, I'm so tired, just as an experiment, see what it's like to straighten up. Okay. Your body is like sending a message to your mind, oh, time to get up. Okay, we can be here for this. Okay, so that's another one. Uh, a third, opening your eyes. And sometimes the lids kind of feel like they're weights going down. Just opening your eyes, and you might stare. The uh, Tibetan practices, they not staring downward. You might stare downward, or just or let in the light downward, or you might look out ahead and slightly up, so your eyelids have a little bit farther to go down. Um, that can be helpful. A few things that I do. Uh, take some deeper breaths. Not necessarily hyperventilating, but you can do like, you know, 20, 30 seconds on an in-breath. And hold it. Try it right now. Just take a nice deep breath. Hold it. Just let it oxygenate your whole system. Slowly let it out. Hold it out for a moment. Now another deep one in. Fill your whole body with energy. And then out. you do that for a few minutes, you will you know, wake yourself up often. No guarantee, but you might. There's a couple of other games. Try this. Link your thumb and forefingers together. Let them rest in your lap. All the other fingers touch, but can touch, be touching, but keep those rings from touching. 
take some alertness and you start to fall asleep. It's like a little alarm clock. Whoop, okay. Um, and if you make it like a game and play at it, it's a whole different thing than am I passing or failing this test. The standing also is very, very helpful. You can, you know, you can do the whole practice standing. It's a little bit harder to fall asleep. You usually kind of wake up on your, on your way down. You know? uh, make it like a game. And then the most important thing is if you have fallen asleep, don't spend time beating yourself up. You just had a little mini nap. Okay, come back refreshed and start again. If I probably have spent weeks <laughs> in the nods. <laughs> I know it very well. And the idea is to be okay with that too. I don't know if I mentioned uh, uh, Deepama once told Joseph Goldstein, Deepama is this great meditation uh, master, uh, a woman who lived in Calcutta, and she told Joseph, um, who's my teacher, the one who's coming here soon, um, you know, uh, you, should, you should do a two-day sit. And he wa she wasn't talking about a two-day retreat. He said, what do you mean? She said, you should try sitting for two days. Straight. He laughed, you know, he said, are you kidding? She could do that. Right? She said, don't be lazy, right? <laughs> but then what he also realized was, oh, yeah, you're going to fall asleep. You, you just stay there no matter what. Sleep, wake, doesn't matter, you know. You're just doing it, okay? Tell me if, they, if you do that and that works, but uh, <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. It's just part of what, what happens. Notice your relationship to it. That's the key. Anything else here? Yeah, so behind you. Hey, take the uh, mic. I'm wondering if you... Real close to your mouth, yeah. Um, if, well, if I know you know, because anytime I ask a question... <laughs> about <laughs> if you know particularly good meditation for something, you always know. Um, when you realize that you're being really small-minded and you've got your hooks into a little story and it's very trivial and you can't seem to get out of it, uh, do you have any suggestions for something that will help you pull yourself out of that? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm tempted to say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this will work for you. Uh, here's a few suggestions. My, I've shared this here before. My main practice when I get caught is asking myself, what thought am I believing right now? Sometimes I'll say, what story am I believing right now? But if you've done enough practice so that you know, you've seen that the mind is create, just creating these stories. For me, when I ask that question, it's like I'm remembering the emptiness of it all, the mental fabrication. Oh, what story am I believing now, right now? Oh, that I'm not good enough, or that whatever it is, you can fill in the blanks. And it also, and when I say right now, 
it reminds me that I'm not going to be stuck in this story for good. I probably won't be in it a half an hour from now, or maybe you know, a week from now. <laughs> but that's one first thing. Oh, this is just a mind, mind game. Now, even seeing that, you might still have the energy of that struggle that's been there. So this is the tricky thing, because your mind might know it. Oh, it's just a story, but you're still kind of jacked up or tight or whatever. Then you also uh, want to do something with the energy, too, because your system, the adrenaline has go gotten shooting out or whatever, the, the whatever hormones or whatever. And so if your body is jangling, you need to, to take care on a physical level as well. Going for a walk, particularly in nature, doing some exercise, um, doing some, uh, uh, taking a hot bath, doing something that can cha cha channel that energy, shift that energy, can be very useful. Uh, and then if you've done all of that, and you're still kind of there. Uh, one, know that it's going to change. So you reflect on impermanence. And then see, how can I relate to this with as much kindness as possible and, not, and realize that this is something that the human, of the human experience. You know, do you know the acronym RAIN, the, um, where you you go right into the feeling of the, of the energy of the emotion. You recognize it, and you allow it, and you investigate how it's manifesting. And the non-identification is not taking it personally, seeing that you are exploring the human experience of anger, fear, sadness, whatever it is, loneliness. Oh, this is, uh, I, I, I sometimes do this. This is also a little bit weird, but uh, I sometimes uh, imagine that I'm an alien and I've just been dropped onto the earth and I'm reporting back to the mothership. You know. <laughs> oh, this is what freaking out is like for these guys, you know. Like that, you know. Oh, this is what anger is like. Oh, yes. And you're just exploring because the awareness that's exploring is not stuck in that small story. So you're actually learning to be the awareness rather than that dance of contraction that's going on within it. And be really patient with it. Okay, one last one and then we should probably go. We'll see. Wait, is it on? Wait. Uh, now, now, now go. It may take some Hello? There you go. I'm Jean. I'm visiting from Montana. Hi. And um, I really liked what you said about the spaciousness. Like, it, there's a lot of freedom for me if th you know, thinking thinking about myself as a speck and my life as this speck. But at the same time, it's sort of terrifying, you know. And I and then I, and then when you said that thing about heading up towards being 50 years old, I was thinking about the first 50 years of my life not being aware of the speck mm. and of, of myself being a speck and then the midlife crisis is sort of realizing that you know how brief our lives are and then maybe we accept it and then we move on to the second half and 
So maybe that's just the point. I don't know. I'm kind of at that point right now. So that was very helpful to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is it? Uh, life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. Yeah. yeah. That's where you both honor the preciousness of it and you, um, you live in joy or as to whatever extent you can and, and celebrate what you've been given. What an amazing gift. We are, we, do you ever ask yourself, how did I get here? Uh, that's um, now I'm going into st- talking heads here. You may ask yourself, "How did I get here?" You, know? you may ask yourself. You know? Well, it's it's a fabulous practice. How did you get? How how has life come together into this form called you? If you keep on going there, it'll take you to the mystery of it all. Because what is happening is life is just exploring itself through this form. It's amazing. And here we are all in this room, and it's just life talking to itself through these various forms. You know, I'm here, you're here, yes, we're all here. It's just talking to itself. How cool! What a game! It is. In, in, in the Hindu tradition, they call it the lila, just the, the play of consciousness. And that's the key, to, to let it be a play of consciousness. Then you can dance in it while all the hard stuff comes. It's not like you can dance all the time, but you can see it in that bigger perspective that just reminds you you can dance and you will dance again. So we should uh, close with a loving kindness now. And just um, hmm, ask yourself that question, gosh, or maybe you might invite it by just reflecting, I'm alive. Or life is happening through this form, however you want to say it. Just say, I'm alive. Feel life moving through you. Let it be as spacious as is available to you. You know, most of the atom is space anyway. Just be the space that that life is moving through. Let yourself just relax in it. Feel the aliveness. And then to honor this particular form called you, which has its unique expression of love and goodness and wisdom and gifts, may I feel all the love that's here inside and share it well. May I connect with all the goodness that's inside and recognize it and let it shine through. 
may I remember the spaciousness that can hold everything. May I wake up to my true nature and see through the separation, the illusion of separation. And then to extend that to everyone here and all beings everywhere, as I want to be happy, may all find happiness. May all share their love well. May all find spaciousness and equanimity to hold their confusion and let it move through. And may all awaken to their true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to ourselves, everyone in our life, and all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness and peace. Have a great couple of weeks. I'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.